Welcome to a special edition of Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. On this episode, we'll be sharing interviews with five inspiring women who we talked to at the New York Women in Communications Student Career Conference. Our guests talked about the importance of knowing your worth, staying curious, and what it takes to be a team player and a standout employee. We learned so much from each of them, and we can't wait to share their advice with you. Our first conversation is with Liz Pearl, digital strategist for Teen Trends and Technology. Hey, I'm Liz Pearl, and I'm a digital strategist. And what I basically do is I help brands and people understand what teens are doing on the internet, why they're doing it, and how to reach them in meaningful ways that also helps them meet their goals. Our show is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, what's your coffee drink of choice? I like black coffee, sometimes with a little bit of milk, but not non-fat. I like 2% or whole milk. Going with the real stuff. No sugar. No sweetness. No, no sugar. Come on. Wow. Hardcore. That's for wusses. <laughs> like my coffee real. You can actually taste the flavor of the coffee versus what I do, which is like have the like a cup of milk and sugar basically with one splash of coffee. I also brew it with like because I brew it myself um, most of the time or most mornings with way too many scoops of coffee like so much that I'm literally shaking when I get into the office. It's terrible but that is how I function. It's Gilmore Girl style. Exactly. <laughs> too much coffee. Very, like, coffee that was a maker. really good pop culture reference. <laughs> Thank there. you. That's like, <laughs> well we're back into Gilmore Girls. Like, <laughs> right I know. <laughs> and I just watched I just started watching all of Gilmore Girls from the beginning so I'll be ready for 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 the November, for November. Can you tell us the steps of your career that got you here today? So step by step, you know your earliest experiences that were relevant to where you are today as this digital strategist working for yourself. Sure, I always knew I wanted to go into writing and media ever since I was a kid. I actually thought maybe I wanted to be a novelist and then I went to college and I joined the school newspaper and started writing there and actually got it in my head that I was going to be a, a print journalist. I was going to work for a magazine. And it's funny that I thought that because I was actually a digital kid. Like I love the internet and what I really wanted to do actually was like be very serious journalist covering the internet and technology and science and really serious, extremely nerdy topics at places like you know popular mechanics or popular science. And the reason why I assumed print and actually saw that this career for myself, five to ten years of being a print editor, I saw it laid out for me. I kind of knew how much money I was going to be making at each at each step uh, is because that's where the jobs were. Um, and that's what was actually kind of like the sexy job to have. Digital media existed, but there weren't actually that many jobs. That's how old I am. Um, at the time, and it wasn't like looked at as actually something that was, that was so serious. So I, I just didn't think I was going to pursue it. Um, and as it turned out, I uh, actually couldn't get an internship anywhere near my interest, which was, you know, these nerdy things. Mm-hmm. Not nerdy, really cool. Actually, I shouldn't say nerdy, very cool things. Um, and I was really discouraged, but my mom encouraged me to start uh, applying for women's magazines and fashion magazines as an alternative, as, a, for, as an internship. Um, and I don't know whether I mentioned this side note. I I went to school in Canada, so I actually wasn't part like in New York. Um, I didn't have any connections here. I knew nothing about it. I just knew that it's where things happen and it's where I wanted to be. So I applied to a whole bunch of fashion magazines and somehow got an interview at Seventeen Magazine and landed an internship there. And that propelled my entire career. Do you know why you got that interview? Like, do you know why they picked you out of the 
for the job a million dreams what do they say for the job a million a uh, million girls would kill for right well I, I know that it wasn't because I wore a suit <laughs> to my first interview I wore like, a suit legitimately to wore a suit interview. To, with like these horrible like boot situations so it definitely wasn't because of that um, I'm not sure but what I will say is um, I think that I ended up there, and I hope this is what they saw in me, because actually, as it turned out, the very best place to learn about and understand what was happening on the internet and where the internet was going was in the trenches with teen girls. Mm-hmm. And like, even though that wasn't what other people might have perceived as like serious journalism, right, um, or you know, path that would lead you into you know, technology in, in, in the way that you know, if you worked at Popular Mechanics or Popular Science at the time would... I, uh, I did it anyway, and I pursued that, and I actually loved working with young people so much and, and learned from them so much about uh, technology trends and internet trends that five or six years later, I actually ended up at one of the biggest tech companies in Silicon Valley, sitting at the table with some of the most uh, well-known and important designers and, and engineers having actual influence in products that are being developed for hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And let me tell you, had I gotten a job at Popular Science... I would have not developed the skills I needed to have been able to get that job and be valuable there. No, that's, it's, a, it's amazing to realize, you know, that A, what you planned for yourself just like was not the path that you were intended, right. you know, you were supposed to take. Do you feel like there were signs along the way that pointed you in certain directions? Because you went from 17 to where, to where? What were your next steps? Right. Actually, a, a very, a very unique opportunity to have worked at three major brands at very transitional times in media. So I was actually at Seventeen Magazine at the time when Hearst, the parent company, was like, actually, websites might be important. Let's start investing some resources there. Side note, Julie was actually the web editor at Seventeen Magazine. We go way back um, at the time that I was there as an intern, and she was, you know, I think there were like three or four, it was, your team was tiny. Yeah, three so was like, And I, right when I got there was when the company kind of was waking up and being like, actually, like, web editor roles are going to become really important. And then after that, I actually worked at the Huffington Post. When the Huffington Post was, I think, the number one news site on the mm-hmm. internet. This was pre-BuzzFeed. That's how old I am. Mm-hmm. And it was right at the time when the newsroom said to themselves, actually, social media might be the place that we should be focusing on for content over the front page, this desktop front page people are navigating to. And maybe we should be building out jobs there. And then I went and worked for Instagram right at the time when the brand started exploring the content space and um, hiring editors uh, to create editorial work. And I think that I'd like to think that I was, I was actually really drawn to spaces that were changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think it wasn't by accident that I ended up at the pl- at the places right at the times they were shifting, and then kind of left to go in the direction of the the, pl- the way that it was shifting, the thing that it was shifting towards. So, seventeen, I actually went and went and worked for a website next. After mm-hmm. that, I actually went and worked for a social media company right mm-hmm. um, next. And it's funny, I didn't actually think to myself, "This is the path I'm going to take," but um, I think that when you're interested in something, when you think about something a lot, you like, taste it in your mouth and you talk about it a lot and you write about it a lot and you talk about it with your friends and it actually kind of it, it weirdly manifests itself <laughs> um, in a way that creates these opportunities for you. So a good example of that was when I was at the Huffington Post, I was actually writing a lot sort of in my 
you know, as a side to my job, this wasn't the heart of my work, around teens and, and social media. And I was like really obsessed with this idea that like that parents needed to not be scared about what they were doing on social media. And actually, the content they were creating was incredibly powerful. And it was just as powerful as a lot of the content that we were consuming in, in traditional uh, teen media. And as I was writing about it, it was all around the ether, and that, and then Instagram found me, right? And for me, that came out of the blue. I'd never even considered working in technology. I'd never set foot in California before. It was just like not part of the path that that I had I'd saw for myself. But I actually think because I had been talking about it so much and, and thinking about it already. Um, it, it happened for me. They found me. They, they they heard my voice. And actually, I was given this like terrible advice once that I should be taking uh, you know a job with a great title over um, money. a job. Yeah, over money. Actually, first of all, like money. That is actually something, especially as women, it's okay to prioritize, and you should prioritize. Yes, please. But even now, actually, when I was so when I this this Instagram opportunity came up when I was at the Huffington Post, the title was like something super weird like I forget what it was but I had a director title at the Huffington Post and at the time like that was really important to me that I was a director like mind you I don't nothing I was doing was like director level but I was young and like I you know I'd been conditioned to think that that was you know that was going to help me propel forward in my career and I've been interviewing at this other really big media brand for a title that was like a VP title Mm -hmm. it was like corner office really big deal and I thought maybe if I interviewed at Instagram they would hurry up and make me an offer for this you know weird this what I thought was a really prestigious job and then I went out to Instagram and met the team and I realized that like the coolest shit was happening out there and like this title which like was meaningless and like the the, the job again I wasn't going to have a big team I wasn't going to be in control right. of everything but the job was actually going to be way more important, right? We're going to shape an industry. The job itself was so much more important than this important sounding title that I had in in this other space. So you've made lots of steps and jumps and leaps throughout your career, both internally at companies and then between companies. How do you approach your boss to tell them that you're ready to take the next step in the career? So it's either at that company you want to move up or it's time to go, you know, you may both know it's time to go, maybe you only think it's time to go. How would you approach your boss or how have you done it in the past? I try to be as honest as humanly possible with them. Um, and actually, I've only started doing that since I became a manager because actually it's really, really easy to tell when someone is being disingenuous with you. Um, and, you know, my, actually my biggest pet peeve in the world is the people that come in and use platitudes, right, when they're when they're talking about following their dreams. Or not that following your dreams is, isn't something that's genuine, but, like, come on. Um, <laughs> so I try to be really honest. Um, I think that, especially if, I'm, if I want to stay within the company and I want to move up, I... What I do is, I, as I'm doing my my job, and especially like actually in, in communications careers, are going to feel really similar. I think where like it's not, not really a job description. You're kind of doing, you know, you're really helping create your job yourself as you're doing it. I um I have a spreadsheet and I keep track of what I call like ways I've had impact. So impact's like the word I like cling to, and I keep track of it and I like keep a list of it. Um and I actually go to like I have like the company's goals written out both numerically right if you're working at a place that that is looking is looking at metrics in, in a specific way and also just like mission wise right like where you know are they this video like the thing your publication wants to, to tackle next I match it together and I like literally go in with it uh, to my boss being like here's my impact this half here's how it matches matches to the company goals um and I like with this in mind, I'm like I'm having more impact than like my role mm-hmm. is, is allowing for me, and I use that as a, as a way to negotiate. And I have it all written down. I, they don't have to do anything; it's all tracked there. And I also um, have a number in mind, right? Like I I know if I want to be making more money, I'm really really direct and upfront about it. 
I think that is the best advice you can give because A, going into any of those meetings with just concrete ask is so important. I think to your earlier point, so many people go in and they just are like, I want to do X, Y, and Z. It's kind of a little airy-fairy. Like it's not very concrete and that's a very easy way for your boss to negotiate out of it. But if you go in with concrete, especially a number, a money number and Mm -hmm. actual facts, like, you know, we always say you're always going to be doing the next job for like, before you do it. Yeah, before you do it. But I also don't believe in spending like, more than maybe six months doing that, doing a job that's higher than yours. Everyone says do the job that you don't have, but I actually don't think you should do it for that long. Yeah. Like you, you actually, if you're doing something that's way beyond your pay grade or the scope of your job, don't let them get that from you for free um, because they actually will, unless you ask and you put your foot down, they probably, there's no incentive for them. Right. Um, unless, you know, unless they understand that they, they kind of get the sense that they want to keep you around. Sometimes some companies are really good at predicting that, but you can't bank on that. I think six months is a great is like the magic yeah. number because yeah. a year you're going to be so angry after a year. Yeah, and then, exactly, and then you're, you're like just pent up being like I'm doing this thing and in my head I should be promoted and you should be reading my mind and and then they promote you <laughs> and you're going to be expected to do it for two more years and yeah. it's like you already exactly. are mad about it. Like yeah. it's just a bad plan. I think that's a great plan. Six months, that's it. Yeah, go in, fight it. And sometimes you know how have you known in the past that it's time to move on? Because sometimes it's just time to move on. Right. Um, when I feel like I know everything about the thing. <laughs> um, you know, when you go, I think um, we all, in, in any job, and this, this continues even when you become an expert, um, I think women uh, have imposter syndrome, right? So you go when you feel like you know nothing. For me, when I'm at a place where I have gone in, I've shaken up a thing, I've like you know, gone in and learned a bunch of things, and I'm, and I'm then standing there being kind of this like traffic light, like pointing everyone in the company at like all the things instead of instead of going in and learning myself, being like, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. Mm-hmm. Here's what I learned. Here's what I know. Here, do this. Then actually it's time for me to, even though it actually feels really good, right? Because it feels like you have a lot of power, especially with like shit changing in media so fast, you need to be making sure that you're like, you're in a position where you're learning new things and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, creating new things. So that's actually the exact moment that you make sure that either you move into a new job or take on something new, or maybe move companies to challenge yourself. Yeah, we've had many guests say that. Like if you're not learning... Yeah. Time to move on. Yeah, and it's also figuring out, um, you know, what, uh, lack of a better word, like what exactly it is that you're good at, not necessarily interest-wise. So for me, I realize now, and again, I've, I've had some some time to think about this, so I, I don't expect people earlier in their career to know this right away, but I know the thing that I'm good at and the thing that energizes me is going into a company sort of as like the only person that knows the things that I know. So for me, that's, you know, understanding things about what's happening, you know, teen culture online, emerging trends, social media, technology, sort of shaking things up, going in there and like helping a company understand it, get behind it, how we should be, how should we be staffing it? What should programs look like? Where should we be focusing? How do you measure impact? Like doing it in this very kind of like startup-y way, I love doing that. And then I, I find that, you know, once I have all the people, we've hired people, we figured out what it should look like, and we're actually going to like, you know, implementing all of these programs, and I'm in a position where I'm, you know, managing people or like, you know, kind of, kind of heading it up. I get, I get bored like real fast. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't energize me um, unless I'm on the ground, like working at all hours, being insane, making a mess. So then I actually, and it's funny that I just did this without even knowing I was doing it. Every time I would move to a new company and I would do that there. Then when I got to that point, so having in post, I ended up launching like a teen section and we did a couple other things. And then I, you know, was promoted into a director role. As soon as I got there, and I wasn't like launching a thing, and, te- and we had people in place who actually knew everything that I knew. I like taught them, and we like did the thing. I went 
to another place, Instagram, when I was the, the very first person they ever hired, actually, to uh, to do that had any expertise in teens, and they knew teens were important in teen strategy, and they you know were just like, well, tell us if it's important, you know, and how it's important, and how we should be looking at it. So then I went in and did that there, and actually, you know, three weeks ago, I've only I was working there at the beginning of the month, so I, I've left fairly recently. And, you know, I left again when I was at the point where I was like, actually, we built out this, like, amazing team. I was actually super, super happy. I also really, really believe in moving on when you're in a really, really good place. Mm -hmm. Like, when you're happy, when you're comfortable, and people like you, and there are new opportunities coming up around you. Don't leave when you're unhappy, um, which is an awful thing to say. I mean, if things are really, really miserable, find a way out. Don't torture yourself. But the best time to do it is not to, like, to catch it before you're miserable. Um, and leave when you're really happy. So I actually left that job, and everyone was completely shocked because I actually like loved my life. I mm-hmm. loved the brand. They're not paying me to say that. Instagram is like literally the best place to work for in the world. But I, yeah, I know myself. I know what I'm good at, and I actually want to pursue a career where I'm like all of the time going in and shaking things up and teaching people things and putting structures in places and then getting myself out of there and going and doing it somewhere else because that's what I love. That's what fires me up, and that's actually like what I'm good at. We're going to do our lightning round now. Okay. I'm just going to ask you questions, a couple quick questions, okay. and just say... The first thing that comes to your head. Best career advice you've ever received? Do less. And, and for me, I can ex- expand a little bit about other. I want to, even though I have, it's a lightning round. Yeah, I need to sorry, know. I have this tendency um, to want to do everything and have the most impact. And actually, like, and I think we all have this, to like do the things that actually are like the coolest to talk about, right? Like if I had an opportunity to go visit the set of a movie or like whatever it is that makes right. me excited about. I had on um, Instagram, we had um, like the head of our marketing team. Um, said to me, like, it was just like, Liz, you, you need to do less. Yeah. And you're going to have more impact if you do less. And I and really forced me. I was doing, I think, 10, 10 things at the time. He's like, pick two. And pick the two things that are not necessarily, you know, the ones that you, you think are, like, the coolest to talk about on Facebook, which, again, I don't think everyone's like this. I was certainly like that. Pick the two things that actually have the most impact in the company. Like, mm-hmm. think about it. Like, what actually, like, what's the company trying to do? What can you focus on that is legitimately going to push that needle and focus all of your energy on that? And you're actually going to, like, having more impact at the company. That actually taught me how to focus in a way that I've I've never focused, uh, been able to focus before. And it it propelled my career. What's the worst advice? You you mentioned some bad career advice, but what's the worst career advice you've ever received? If you put your head down and work really hard, then then you'll succeed. Um, I think... It's really, really important to promote yourself and the work you do, not just internally, but like definitely internally, um, but externally as well. It's gonna, it's gonna, especially with social media. Like, don't be that person who overshares. But like, if you if something cool happens in the company, make sure to take the time to share it. Don't I know it like seems really annoying to like you know when you're done your work being like I have to take this time and like this uh, as an aside to probably do this. Like, it's actually like it's part of your job. You should do that as part of your job in terms of like taking care of your career share the shit out of the cool things you do and be proud of it and self-promote because it is it is the fastest way you're going to get ahead and the people that don't do it I actually don't think the people that just put their head down and work maybe they'll get noticed but they can't bank on it it's up to you to, to make sure that your work is noticed by the people around you mm-hmm. yeah it's, I feel like there's such a difference between bragging and self-promotion right. like you really in this day and age you have to self-promote if you do something great because also like your next employer is going to be looking right. at your even just your social media to see what you're doing right. and it's if you've kind of never talked about anything it's too late years later to yeah promote, and actually you know, promote like them. yeah and I believe you don't have to talk about yourself to self-promote I actually think you know we have we really love confessional writing right now mm-hmm. right across social media oversharing is kind of in <laughs> totally cool um, but actually the best way to do it is to just share work 
I asked you a lot of questions today. We talked a lot about your spectacular career advice. But spectacular. I'm, spectacular. I'm so, so a genius. Thank I think so. I learned a lot. Where can people follow you online? Where are you self-promoting? I am all over the internet. You can find me at uh, Liz Pearl, and that's spelled P as in Peter, E-R-L-E. And I am... Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on Snapchat too, but like you're only gonna get like really boring pictures of my sister's cats. <laughs> that sounds as of right now. Me. Maybe I'll have more time soon, but feel free to follow me anywhere. And actually, I almost prefer people to follow up with me um, on those platforms uh, as opposed to email. I'm actually really responsive. And if I don't respond right away, just keep bugging me. I don't actually care about being bugged a lot. It doesn't bother me, and sometimes I require it. Um, but yeah, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to anyone. Awesome. So Liz Pearl, at Liz Pearl everywhere. It's at Liz Pearl, yeah. And on Facebook, Elizabeth Pearl, but you'll probably find it under Liz Pearl. Thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing, it's been a blast from the past for me, but also an incredible conversation where I learned a lot. Our next conversation is with Jennifer Falk. Hi, I'm Jennifer Falk. I'm here from Mattel. I am a senior marketing analyst for global content strategy and distribution. Um, basically, what that boils down to is I head all of our marketing and activation across all of our YouTube channels right now, um, where we do our content distribution. So any sort of Barbie content um, that we may also put out on DVD and Netflix or iTunes, we're also putting that on YouTube now, um, creating YouTube channels for all of our kids and our brands. Um, and then we're also creating tons and tons of original content. So I work across uh, about 26 different brands globally. And I had our channel management team, our marketing team, um, which encompasses analytics and all of our media activations. Great. That sounds great. How long have you been doing this? So I actually got my MBA um, about two and a half years ago, and I was doing my MBA internship at Fisher-Price, which is a subsidiary of Mattel, and it kind of rolled into this. So in my current role, I've been there two years. Great. I did not know Fisher-Price was part of Mattel. I don't yeah. Think. So that- we have, so Mattel is Fisher-Price and then also American Girl, um, and now a new brand called, or an existing brand that we've recently acquired called Megablocks. Um, so what is your coffee drink of choice? So right now I am pregnant. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Expecting my first child. So caffeine is sort of a no-no. Um, so I've been off caffeine for almost a year. I started wow. a little before I got pregnant. Um, so I really love a good decaf latte when I'm indulging. <laughs> How often are you allowed to have a decaf latte? I mean, you can have a, like a cup of coffee a day, but I'm, I'm being a little strict with it. And I have to say, I mean, I'm hoping not to go back to caffeine. So we'll see how it works when I'm sleep deprived and working and, you know, doing all this other stuff. But for now, that's the plan. How was the transition off of caffeine? I did it really slowly, kind of mixed decaf and caffeine. So it wasn't, it really wasn't too bad. That's I mean, but you realize how addicted you are to caffeine because you will get headaches. (laughs) Easier than going cold turkey. Like you had, you had the foresight to do it. I kind of thought ahead and and was like, you know, hopefully this will come someday. So we're going to get ahead of it. (laughs) Yeah. I wish you the best of luck. Thanks for not going back to caffeine. For not going back to caffeine. (laughs) 
what's something you do every day to make you feel that your job is valuable and personally rewarding? Yeah. So in my current position, being at Mattel and working with a bunch of different kids brands, um, it's not so much industry related, but I love going onto our digital platforms and reading comments. And when I'm kind of feeling either down about my job or questioning why I'm doing something, I mean, it truly builds you up, whether it's a mom who says, you know, thanks for putting up this video. You know, I know how to play with my my two-month-old now. I didn't realize I could play with them in this way. Or it's a girl who's, you know, like we have a new uh, vlogger series for Barbie. She's now an animated vlogger. And the comments that these girls write back to Barbie as a vlogger are so inspiring. They're just taking inspiration from her and they love what she does. And then, you know, we also get the comments of this content is great. I can't wait. Hopefully I'll work at Mattel one day. And it's just really rewarding to see people actually appreciating your content and appreciating what you do. And since we are so, you know, consumer facing and able to have that one-on-one conversation with consumers of all ages, it's great to get that instant feedback. That's amazing. And that's very unique because a lot of times you Mm -hmm. do a job and you just slog through it and hope it's affecting someone and you never know yeah. what happens at the yeah. end result. I mean, and it, it's great because you do meet a lot of parents who will say, my kid loves Thomas and friends, um, or I've probably been a little weird at times and said, you know, to some kid dressed fully in Thomas clothes, like, oh, do you love Thomas and friends? <laughs> then I explained to his parents very quickly, I work at Mattel. <laughs> I love seeing kids in our brand. Um, but it is something that's very tangible and it's something that I also learned early on when I was working in other jobs um, within the same industry, but it it does matter what you're doing day to day and it matters what you're sort of focusing on because toys to me and and kids content is a lot more entertaining than when I worked on a car account. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I didn't even drive because I lived in New York City. So um, it does make a difference. So I try to focus on that because that's an aspect of my job I really love. And it's a great lesson in terms of, you know, looking at your career because you can be doing essentially the same job at Mm -hmm. two different companies and just love it more because the subject matter is interesting to you. And especially I think in communications like PR and marketing where it may be very similar from job to job in terms of like the day-to-day work of like Mm -hmm. writing and promoting what else you're doing that if you are unhappy, you might not be unhappy doing marketing, but you might just be unhappy with the brand that you're working on. Exactly. And I mean, I know just, you know, kind of coming up in past jobs and like pharma gets a really bad rap. Everyone's like, oh, bummer. I'm on a pharma campaign. I'm like doing Pepto-Bismol or something like, you know, and, and people kind of laugh about it, but you know, some people love it, but I think there is truth to it of the subject matter that you're dealing with every day, even though you are working on a PowerPoint presentation and you're, you know, putting together a year long marketing strategy or campaign that honestly could go for 20 different products or even more. Um, if you're interested in, in the product that you're actually selling, it just makes you that much more passionate about it. Great. What is one of your most memorable office moments, something that happened either positive or negative in the office, in your work environment? So I have one that's sort of related to my current job, um, where when I first started, I'm based in New York City and our headquarters is in LA. And then we also have American Girl, which is in Wisconsin. And I was traveling to these different offices and you sort of walk into Mattel headquarters and there are these toys there and you're looking, you know, you're sitting in a conference room that could just be totally bland conference room at any company. And they have these like amazing, gorgeous pictures of Barbie throughout the years or something. And you're just kind of sitting there and you're saying, wow, I'm, I'm really 
in a way, a part of history, but also, you know, like my grandmother gave my mother Barbie dolls and I played with Barbie dolls. And so it's really cool to kind of have that moment. Um, I did the same thing. I was an American girl doll player when I grew up um, more so than even Barbie. So when I went to Wisconsin and they had this sort of museum type entry to the, to the entire campus and I was just going through and looking at it and I was just remembering being a kid and it was really, really cool. Um, so it was not so much work related, but, you know, I mean, it has to do with my job now and it's what kind of keeps me passionate about my job. Oh, it's great to be so personally connected to the brand and have, and because you spend so much time at work, we all spend so much time at work. Like you're probably spending more time there than you're spending with your family. Mm -hmm. Then to have those ties that feel personal can really make or break the job. Yeah. I mean, I'm very fortunate in that way. I kind of. I mean, I wasn't looking for that. I didn't think I loved kids' content or, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I remember growing up with American Girl. I really need to work for them. Um, But it kind of happened that way. And then as it evolved, like, it's something that is very important. So, you know, I think it it definitely speaks to working with products that you either use or that you believe in, um, you know, I will probably only have my first foray into Fisher-Price and, and Thomas and Friends toys coming up in a few months. Um, but it is still something that like I gift to other people and I believe in the quality of our products and, and stuff like that. So I think it, it helps really when you're, when you're doing your day-to-day to not get bogged down. This podcast, it's all about career advice and hearing about your personal career experience and what you've learned. We ask a lot of questions, but there's a ton of stuff we don't even know to ask. So what's something that you've always wanted someone to ask you, something you wanted to share that you want to share with this audience? That's kind of tough. (laughs) I'm not totally sure. But I mean, I think one is a lot of people don't talk about what the challenges of your job are. And so that's one thing that I would say, you know, I wish that whether it was my boss or, you know, just other people had given me advice to really think about what the challenges are and and if it's something that, you know, not only can you handle, but is it something that you want to deal with on a daily basis? Um, And a lot of mine come from the fact that I cover so many international markets and so many brands. Um, I mean, from a a personal thing, I I feel like I'm always on the go and always changing hats. And, you know, from just a target audience perspective, I'm I'm talking to moms, I'm talking to an eight-year-old girl, I'm talking to a five-year-old boy. And that could change in the span of an hour, depending on what meeting I'm going to and from. Um, And then also, you know, I'm working on international hours, I'm working on Los Angeles hours. And so that can get kind of hectic. I wanted to ask a follow-up question, which about the challenges... um who do you talk to about your challenges at the office? Do you talk to your coworkers? Do you talk to your manager? Or is that something you try to save just to talk to your family and friends and not kind of bring it into the actual work environment? Yeah, I'll talk to coworkers, um, but kind of trusted coworkers. I'm very conscious of whether or not I'm sort of complaining, mm-hmm. um, but I will talk to my manager. I have a very good relationship with him, and I think that's very important to have a manager. You have that relationship. So we will sort of have, you know, powwow times where, you know, I have these different challenges, but I try to come up with solutions for them. Um, you know, so right now, like working with my international markets seems to 
sort of be spiraling out of control. Um, and so I'm, I'm developing, you know, a better process that we can work with them and sort of set some boundaries and, and communicate that out to them. So I definitely talk to my manager about that. Um, but also try to come up with solutions when I go to him so that I'm not just always bringing the bad. Mm-hmm. That's great. Complaining's like become a theme of today, which I like, like, should you complain at work? You know, is it hurtful or helpful? Um, And I like that you said you try not to complain. Like, even if you're talking about challenges, I think that's different than just complaining for complaining's sake. Yes. We're at the Student Career Conference for New York Women in Communications filled with college students learning about careers in media and communications. What is a piece of advice you would like to give to your college self? What, what did you wish you knew about careers when you were in school um, that you you know want to go back and tell yourself so that it might make things easier? Sure. Well, I mean, one thing is, I think when you go to conferences like this and, and everyone's giving you advice, it's really hard to say, how do I do this piece of advice and this piece of advice and take this piece of advice and execute on all of them? Um, and I don't think that you need to. I think you need to kind of follow your path and and listen to yourself and do what you want. And I kind of have, I mean, I, when I was an undergrad, wanted to do marketing and advertising. I was a marketing major at a business school. Um, I did the New York or the, um, the student advertising competition, NSAC. Um, and it was a big part of my life. And I kind of freaked out senior year. I was like, when am I going to get a job? I need a job now. And, and I went into management consulting because Deloitte hired me in probably September, October. Wow. And so I had a job before Thanksgiving. I was like sitting pretty. I was enjoying my senior year. And I was so freaked out that marketing and advertising jobs would hire late, late Mm -hmm. in the spring, close to graduation. Um, And so, you know, I've obviously since left that path, but, you know, I took valuable experiences from that. But I also learned that, you know, it will work out with what you want to do. And I, I'm sure people told me that at the time, but actually listening to myself because I knew I didn't really want to go into management consulting. <laughs> I wanted to do something in marketing and advertising. So I mean, I do think it's it's about gut checking and and having faith in yourself and in your network and people around you that they'll help you get through it and and things will work out. And it's it's hard to believe when you're an undergrad with a lot of pressure during graduation. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's honestly almost like the hardest thing about this industry is you cannot get a job before like two weeks before you start that job. Like that is not a thing. And so especially when you're a senior in college, it's like you see all your friends, Mm -hmm. especially in business school, getting jobs before winter break. And it's like panic. I remember that panic too. I remember in April. That's when the panic hit me because I kind of knew it. And it's like April and you're like, oh my God, I'm graduating in a month. And then it was, but literally people were like, you cannot even talk to us unless you can start in two weeks. Right. Like, I can't even talk to you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's also about knowing, like, what the industry norms are. And while I knew that, I, I didn't really trust it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I, I think it does go back to just listening to yourself and having a plan in place to really know what you want to do. We also had a great conversation with Roxana Amati. Hi, I'm Roxanne Amati. I'm a news curation editor at BuzzFeed News, and I work on all news distribution across social, our homepage, our mobile apps, and everything beyond that. How long have you been doing that? 
I have been at BuzzFeed for a little over six months, which feels like a lifetime. I feel like a veteran. (laughs) Is it a crazy pace working at BuzzFeed? It is insane, but it's fun. And like, I think anything online or with social, the platforms are changing every six months. So what we were doing a year ago is like, that's old Twitter. Why are you doing that now? So I think it's just like constantly being on your toes, but it's fun. Where did you come from? What was your last job? I was actually at a tech nonprofit in Seattle um, that was a startup and it's called Code.org, teaching the world to code and getting computer science in schools. Um, And we worked with uh, like President Obama, Apple, Twitter, uh, Amazon, Snapchat, like um, every single tech company. And I was doing um, basically all social, some PR, like uh, product, our homepage, blogs, uh, everything like that. And it was fun because I knew I wanted to get back into journalism. So now uh, I have come back into a newsroom and like talking about optimizing and A-B testing and uh, understanding product and all these things that I think were like a huge asset, actually. That's great. It's an inter- such an interesting transition. Oh, I've been all over the place for <laughs> sure. Like, I well, know, it's all we're going to talk about We're going to do that. We're going to talk about Actually, let me get here, there, here first. Um, what is your coffee drink of choice? I am just an Americano black. I'm from Seattle, so I'm totally not a coffee snob, though. Just keep it simple. Tell us about the steps you took to get where you are today. So step by step from, you know, what you think was your earliest relevant experience to now working at BuzzFeed because you've had a really interesting career. Yeah, I've definitely been all over the place. And um, I studied journalism. I knew I wanted to be in the field, came out to New York, did, you know, all the internships. I graduated at the height of the recession when I was a senior in college uh, interning at Forbes. And they called me like three weeks in. Um, My manager was like, yeah, they're laying off our whole team. So it's over. And I like... I didn't know what to do um, in that situation. And so, you know, I was all over the place. So I um, graduated and I was like working at a clothes store and babysitting, but also interning. I interned at the Council on Foreign Relations on their news team. I ended up going to grad school and getting more into international relations, um, but always keeping um, involved in media. So like, whatever I was doing. I had a friend that was working on a documentary. I helped him with it. Um, while I was in school, I worked at the J school at Columbia so I could like meet a lot of people in journalism and stay writing. I did like policy research. Um, and then I definitely was obsessing over what was next in media. Um, I knew it was changing and really wanted to, I guess, be strategic in my career. And I then went out to Seattle and started working for a tech startup for two years, um, learning basically a lot about product and how to work with uh, engineers and how to build a movement and scale it and all these things. And um, then came over to BuzzFeed and it's, it's like totally an amalgamation of everything I could have wanted to do. So it's like working on uh, translating all of our amazing reporting onto all these different platforms and also figuring out where we should be next. So is it on like Facebook Messenger bots or Amazon Alexa or, you know, like 
anything that comes up and uh, digging into data and figuring out really what the future of journalism is. And I think that's like the funnest job you can have right now. It sounds so fun. Where do you look to find out, you know, what's going to be, what, what are the new trends? What's happening next? Because, you know, you're, you at BuzzFeed are educating people on what is next. So where are you guys getting that information? I think it depends on the platform. I'll use like, for example, lately I've been obsessed with Instagram and I'm not looking at other media companies. Like I will go onto the explore page that like floats up recommended posts and I'll be looking at these pottery videos or food videos or pictures of Kylie Jenner. And I'm like thinking like, uh, square videos or vertical videos or like what's the length of these videos or what's the thumbnail people who are just using these platforms creatively I think I've learned more than following the industry for sure mm-hmm. and it's so interesting because it's like anyone can do that too so if someone wants to work in this industry and they don't have the experience they can use free tools to like educate themselves which I think has been really is a really interesting time to be in like you don't have to be going to school or working in the industry to like get the experience and then you can kind of transition in totally I mean be obsessed with your field like I am a psycho. I'm not like I go home and I like get in bed and I'm like scrolling through like social media feeds when I get home from work. And like, it's like, don't play it cool. You know, like so many people, um, even who are young are like, no, like I'm, I don't really get Snapchat. Like, I don't know. It's just, there's no excuse, you know, like be obsessed with it. Follow other people, follow what they're working on where they're interviewed and read their interviews, what they're thinking about and like read what these companies are doing. So like in that way, just doing your research, like no one knows what social media is going to be like in six months or a year. BuzzFeed doesn't know that. Um, I don't think anyone does. So I really think it's following like these smaller sort of viral movements. I think it's a great note that like, if you want to work in communications, like don't say, oh, I don't really get like Instagram or Snapchat, like get it because you're exactly. going to have to. There's no excuse. <laughs> you're going to all the time. I mean, all generations yeah. are saying that, but it's, it's like, it's a free tool that you can learn about that's important to go, your field. Like, at, when they release new updates, I will go on YouTube and watch like an explainer video of someone showing all like the cool kind of hidden features. We have the ability to like not fall behind. So like, why exactly. would you fall behind? And I think that's like a, not just a lesson for it's cross-generational. It's like, you know, you see it also on the other end where it's like people who have been working for a long time, oh, it's not really that important, but it is important. You don't want totally. other people coming in and taking these and I roles. Think there's also like a perception that if you're into these things, you're not serious or like substantive. And like I started out as a student being really into long form and features and like my dream job, if I could have imagined it would be like writing for the New Yorker, which is like fine, but... that's so competitive there's so many people who want to be journalists or reporters and that's great but like have something else Mm -hmm. like not surprisingly still not a lot of people um are really experts or like really Mm -hmm. thinking uh critically about all these platforms and um emerging platforms and where we should be and so like have that asset I think is really important and like it doesn't mean like 
to me, the most interesting thing that I do is taking our investigative reporting or like long form features and like figuring out how can we translate this into a Facebook video that does well or like, um, you know, something in our newsletter. Like that is really tough, but it's still really important journalism to do that. So that's great. Saying yes is always important, but sometimes you got to say no. You have to say no. What do you think are the best ways to say no and to set boundaries at work? We know setting boundaries is so, so important, you know, from the start. So what would your advice be around that? And, but not get yourself in trouble, not kind of lose points with your coworkers and your boss. Totally. It's tough because like you want to be hustling and you want people to think you're a hard worker and you should always be doing that. And I think saying I'm, I don't have time for this is fine. And like, actually that shows that you're communicating what you're doing and just saying, I don't have time. Like, there's no, no way around that. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, I think, hard at every level. And I think communicating what you're working on, like, I personally have the tendency to just, I'm really busy, so I'm just going to do my work and, like, put my head down. But people don't know that, like, unless you tell them. So I think communicating that, even if it's, like, with your manager, with your team, like, regular updates, which in whatever format you guys do that, to, like, keep people informed about what you're working on is really important, even if it's not part of your like regular job responsibilities. Maybe you're like taking on this or that and just say, I don't have time. I just had an experience where I was expecting something from someone and I emailed them about it and like never heard. And so I emailed the next day, never heard. Email the next day, never heard. And then finally they wrote me back and they're like, I don't have the answer yet. But I'm like, if you had just told me that, then I would have, you know, if you just communicated exactly. to me, I don't have the answer, I wouldn't have bugged you. Like, that's totally fine. That's not an issue. But I think people get very either too busy to respond or if they don't feel like they can give you what you want, they just won't respond. And I just think communication just will, like, solve mostly every problem you've ever had in your exactly. entire career. Exactly, yeah. If, if it's a work in progress or if you don't know, say you don't know or you'll get back to me or whatever. Yeah. We are at the Student Career Conference and you have been giving advice to college students today What's a piece of advice you want to give your college self? Like, what do you wish that you had known about careers, about your future when you were in college? What would have made your life just easier if you knew it? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> I think um, knowing that really everyone is on their different path, that's like very corny, but it's not a straight path. And if you don't get your job in your industry right out of college, you, like you're not shunned for the whole time. Or like if you want to be a journalist and you do something in PR, uh, I think there's again like a stigma about you won't be taken seriously. And like it's okay, especially now. There's so much more like overlap in industries that it's okay. Like it can take you a few years. You can have a windy path. I think something for me is I was very like a perfectionist about my work, especially if you're doing some sort of creative work as a writer or something. Um, and I was like precious about it and wanted it to be perfect before I showed anyone or put it out in the world. And I have so much respect for young people who are just putting their work out in the world, starting a blog or like starting a podcast or, um, you know, asking for things and like, it's okay if people make fun of you behind your back or like talk shit. Like if it's, you'll learn so much more by getting feedback. And then you like, that's actually a big part of Buzzfeed strategy is 
put a lot of content out there, you'll get data and feedback back and you can learn quickly and like keep improving. And personally, my career, like there were so many story ideas I had or things I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like, don't wait for a job or an internship or an opportunity to do that. Um, I wish I would have just like done it and not thought about it for a few months, you know, Mm -hmm. like just get it out there. Just like 90% is good enough and you'll be fine. It's such good advice. And I think a lot of that has come like with, you know, those of us who came, you know, of age in like the early 2000s, we didn't have the culture of like, it's okay, get it up there. It can be fixed. We can change it later. And like that has been an important lesson of like the last five years, even maybe 10 years of just like things can change and evolve. And like you'll get so much farther by doing that. Like if you're waiting for the perfect product, it's never going to get out or like you'll do so much less. And like people don't, people pay attention to the overall, you know, the overall impact 90% is good enough right. like don't be too precious about it I like 90% I think that's good because it's like not lazy yeah but. exactly I mean you want to like do good work and put good work out there but everyone's always going to have something to say right. so it's good enough that's great I love that <laughs> go back and, and tell yourself that tell your past you did, you did okay you did okay without that advice where can our listeners find you? Where are you chatting away on social media? For sure. Uh, you can definitely follow my work on BuzzFeed and the BuzzFeed News app. And my Twitter handle is Roxanne Amati, my full name. Can you spell it out? R-O-X-A-N-N-E-E-M-A-D-I. Great. So follow Roxanne. What kind of stuff are you tweeting? I'm tweeting a little bit about news and a lot about like Rihanna's puffy coat that she had that I was like, I want this. So (laughs) that's the perfect balance. A little news and a lot of Rihanna. I think it's like we could all be better off if that was just our basically our life. Thank you so much, Roxanne. This is so fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Next, we chatted with Meredith Ferguson. I'm Meredith Ferguson. I am the managing director at TMI Strategy, which is the consultancy arm of DoSomething.org. And together, we are building a movement to create the most socially conscious generation that has ever lived. So super exciting. Our show is called Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Our first question is always, what is your coffee drink of choice? I do not drink coffee. Never have. I always was so nervous that I would be that uber type a person that would pull an all-nighter if I drank coffee so I just (laughs) never have um but I will say I'm totally obsessed with chai tea lattes so that's my yeah that's my caffeine drink of choice that counts yeah okay totally you're our first guest who's not drank coffee this is really an interesting twist I think Ah! this episode (laughs) so exciting Tell us about the steps you've taken to get where you are now. So where did it start in terms of like relevant experience that you feel shaped who you are and where you are in your career now? Mm -hmm. And what were the rest of the steps along the way? Sure. Well, I have a very long convoluted path, but I'll keep it short. I started actually as an attorney um, and I knew even in law school that I did not really want to be an attorney. But, um, you know, when you have when you're faced with those big bills, you really feel like you need to to keep at it. So in any case, I did practice for a little while. But while I was practicing, I created a super 
suit drive for an organization that was new, relatively new at the time, because this was many, many years ago, um, and that was called Dress for Success. And uh, I was really proud of that, and I really wanted to do that kind of work. So one day I just quit being a lawyer. I did not know what I was going to do, but I knew that I was not going to do that anymore, which I think can be equally important as figuring out what you do want to do. Um, But in any case, I worked as a a marketing and PR manager at a local nonprofit, very, very small and had no experience. The only reason I got the job was because the board member uh, was was a former partner at a law firm where I worked. So I got that job and I loved it and um, continued in the nonprofit world, but also went to agency side and healthcare and came back because never in a million years did I think I would be able to blend my passion for sort of doing social good and my advertising agency experience. And then I heard of TMI Strategy and I was in love. So that's how it all came together. The interesting part about it, from my perspective anyway, is that little did I know until I was doing research for uh, TMI strategy that uh, do something.org was run by the CEO, Nancy Lublin, who also started Dress for Success. It was just so full circle. Meant to be. Meant to be. And I mean, I was in Cleveland. So oh, it wasn't, wow. <laughs> was not in New York. Did not, you know, this is, I mean, I was in Cleveland and it was just wild. Yeah. Really neat. But it, it just shows every connection yes. you make along the way. Everything matters. Everything it matters. Always matters. Yeah. It's all no, good. Never burn any bridges. You'll never know. Yeah, exactly. You never know. Oh, yeah, so true. <laughs> that's a that's good career advice. So your job is you know, you're doing good. So it's probably very rewarding. Like you know, maybe more so than other jobs. Um, you're helping people and communities. But what's something that you do every day to make sure that you feel that your job is valuable? I really don't do anything every day. I, but I will say this. I don't take for granted that I am doing great work. I know that. And, and that's very top of mind to me. You know, I work long hours. I, I have a lot of pressures and stresses, as everyone does in, in any job, frankly, at any level, frankly. And I definitely remind myself that what I'm doing is so worth it. And while I'm not a doctor literally saving lives, I feel definitely part of the movement that is changing lives and changing the world for the better and, you know, sort of creating an environment for even my own two amazing girls to grow up and see how important it is to be socially conscious. And that that makes it all matter. What's the best career advice that you've ever received? I'll say best career advice I ever received was from um, a a boss that I truly admire and respect and has been a mentor to me even today, and that is you be you. Like there is, and and believe me, he did not say that. That's like, is that, that, those are Beyonce terms. Hashtag you be you. It's the modern version of the the modern version of be yourself. (laughs) And honestly, he was so wonderful because I have been told my whole career to listen, tone it down. You're, you're very aggressive. You're very opinionated and you know, you've got to like pull it back a little and my whole career. And I finally found a boss who said to me, no, no, that's what makes you so incredible. Your passion and everything that comes with that is what makes you so 
brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I need from you is all of you. So I, that is sort of, frankly, advice that I would give myself you know, starting out and give anyone starting out is you be you, but not to the point where you're just like, listen, this is who I am, take it or leave it. But, but appreciate that with your strengths come allowable weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And when you want the best of me, you get all of me. And that's, that's it. And, and having that, um, boss who was able to see that and then tell me that it gave me a sense of confidence, not in my, work and skills and expertise, but in my ability to interact with people that I felt I never had in my, in my career. And it was just so incredibly rewarding after that. And I think that's particularly good advice for women. I mean, advice applies to everyone, but I think women are constantly told like, do this or that, be quieter, or even like ask more questions, like just like a constant stream of unsolicited advice. And it's just try being yourself and see what happens. Yes. So, so true. It's like women don't have to be aggressive. They don't have to not be aggressive. They don't have to lean in. They don't have to, you know, they can lean in, lean out. It doesn't matter. Just be who you are and who you are is enough. Right. Every part of it. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't sort of ask for that raise if you want it. Don't be hesitant to do the things that you want to do and the things that feel right to mm-hmm. you, but don't do it to fit a persona. Right. Don't do it to fit an expectation. Right. And that's where I think um, women need to sort of be mindful. Just be you. Yeah. Well, you, I, you know, I think what is great advice about what you're saying is you can go out of your comfort zone. So like if you would never really want to ask for a, like don't not ask for a raise because it's outside your comfort right. zone, but like do it how you want to do it yes. and not necessarily how you see other people yes. wanting to do it. I think it's so important. I mean, you know, we talk about like personal branding and we're, you know, at this conference here that we're at today, it's about like personal brand. It's like everyone has a personal brand. Even if you're not a YouTube celebrity, like you have a brand. It's what people think of you. Yes. And so you want to really, you want that to be something you're proud of. Yes. Which I will say personal brand never uttered in any job or any, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've only heard it since I worked at, since I've started working at do something.org, yeah. which is, yes, it's so true. Uh, I will say, be careful that you're not defining yourself too early because mm-hmm. if I would have defined myself, uh, at 21 or 25, you know, you evolve and you grow. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you're not adhering to your personal, personal brand to the detriment of growth. Right. You're not strict with it. Yeah. You're not like, yeah. it's flexible. Right. Yes, it can evolve. It's You're going to change. You're going to change. Yeah, totally. When's the last time you had a job interview? Oh, um... I, this time last year. Okay, so you're pretty recent. Yes. Pretty recent. You've yes. been interviewing. Yes, I love interviewing. You do? Oh, oh great. Yeah. This is perfect. Yes, perfect. love it. We love to ask our guests classically annoying interview questions. So the questions that you get at every interview that, like, kind of are never related to the actual job, but you know that the interviewer thinks they're supposed to ask them to like get certain components of your personality and see how you think. So like the first one, for example, is where do you see yourself five years from now? Can you, can you answer that for us? (laughs) I think that's interesting that you find that classically annoying, (laughs) which is because I will say I, yes, that's true. But I think that's an important ask. Like I want, I, as a, as an interviewer, I would want to know that you have a, you have a trajectory in mind Mm -hmm. that you have some ambitions or, or some goals that you'd like to get to. And and for me personally, it's just growing this agency. I mean, I want 
to build TMI strategy to be a significant revenue stream for dosomething.org mm-hmm. because it's just so important, the work that dosomething.org does. And I am so proud to be part of an agency that is driving revenue to it that I just want to keep building that and growing that and making it bigger and better. Um, And all the work that we do, even within TMI strategy, it's not just about being a revenue stream. It's also the work we do is really important. I mean, clients come to us because they need help reaching young people and they want to reach them in a way that's that's based in social change, which is just so incredible. So um, that's where I want to be in five years is just being, you know, leading this agency to great heights uh, and, and great uh, revenue. That's great. So that's the, that's that to me is not a classically annoying question. I thought you were going to say something like, um, what, if you were a tree, what tree would you be? And I really, <laughs> there's nothing about that that I like. Nothing. Nothing. Well, it's like the the, the I think it tells you nothing comes from that you know that they're asking it to like get a certain thing out of you. Yeah. Not necessarily like what your real answer. It's like not genuine. So the other one that we have is, you know, tell me about a challenge you had and how you solved it. Or like, you know, and that's yeah. always something where it's like, we want you to say bad things. Right. Like, tell oh my us, gosh. Tell I us difficult things. You're like, I don't want to say anything bad at interview. I just want to say how great I am. Yeah, my weakness is that I work too hard. That's a big one. Yeah, totally. Um, the challenge I, I always have, frankly, in, in every job, and I'm just being totally transparent here, which is just managing people. I find that to be the hardest part of what I do. And I, I also think it's probably the most important part mm-hmm. of what I do at this level of, of my career. And um, But it's just really hard because people are so different and their needs are different and how they want to be managed and how they should be managed needs to be different. And so you end up being a chameleon in a lot of ways and, and an important, very um, cool looking, very colorful, awesome chameleon. But uh, it's it's hard, and my biggest challenge is just figuring out the right balance of inspiring and guiding, um, but also expecting great work, right? Mm-hmm. Because there there's you can tip that balance and and have expectations that are just unfair or unrealistic or um, just you've just you've just tipped it too far, mm-hmm. and you're you're not you're not appreciating that, yes, of course, we all want great work, but at what expense? And let's make sure we're, we're treating each other like human beings. And so, um, yeah, so I, and the way I overcome that is just seek out people who do it well. I am really fortunate in that the, the woman I work for, the CEO of DoSomething.org, she's an incredible manager. So I look to her uh, quite a bit uh, that we have a head of fun who is our HR person, who I also look to quite a bit. She's She has a very unique and important perspective. And I take advice wherever I can get it. So you're interviewing people now for jobs, for open opportunities. What are the questions that you like to ask in interviews and what information are you trying to get out of them? My biggest indicator and my team hears this all the time. My biggest indicator is, are you curious? Are you just innately curious? And so I like to ask, what are you reading? What are you staying? How are you staying on top of the news and on top of trends? And if they're coming from a particular industry, like how are you staying on top of what's going on in that industry? And I want to hear anything and everything. I mean, I want somebody to tell me, I, um, well, I love, um, the Food 52's Instagram app because it shows me this, that, and the other. I love, uh, you know, I look at Huffington Post every morning. I get the skim, the hustle, and Dave Pell's next draft, and I read all of them. I mean, I want to hear that you have diverse sources, that you have interests outside of your industry, that um, that you're looking 
outside of the obvious, like the one answer I get that I truly get and I'm shocked by it is I just look at the news app on my phone and I think, oh, come on, there's so much more out there than the news app on your Who phone. Who uses the news app on their phone? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? There's a news app? I As you're know. saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of know, but yeah. like, what? No. no. Totally. So that that really is a question to me. I, I don't care if you read a mag. I don't care if it's Seventeen magazine. Right. I, I, read anything. Read everything, and and let me know what it is. What's your latest book you've read? It doesn't have to be anything intellectual. I think that is the, the trap too. If somebody has, well, I read the New York Times. Oh, no, right. I don't read the New York Times, right. and I'm okay with it. <laughs> and so it, yeah, it's like preparing for an interview. It's a really good point because preparing for an interview isn't just anymore job stuff. Like there is going to be personal stuff. There's going to be questions about social media. There's going to be other stuff. So getting prepared for that, like at least thinking about that ahead of time, thinking are like, what are some of the things I do that make me unique? Because they're most likely going to come up. Yes. Or you can bring them up if they don't come up. Yes, yes. I will say I really, I personally hate the, the question, what's your favorite, what are your hobbies? Not favorite hobby, but just what are your hobbies? I, I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm 42. Like, I don't have hobbies. I don't know. I'm like a mother of two. You're like being I'm, a mom, yeah, going to work. I'm like, and... ah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I love to bake. I don't I don't think I would call that a hobby. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a question that really irritates me because I just, it's not that I don't have interests and, and passions. and But I'm like, I don't have a hobby. I'm not 10. It's really interesting that you're saying that because it is very, like, we're transitioning and maybe out of hobbies. Like people have interests, obviously. Right. And some people have like real interests and obsessions. Like maybe you do, you're a woodworker and you do it yeah, like every day you're after work. Coin collector, right? Some but shit. I think yeah. just the way our society has gone, it's like everyone has such diverse interests. It isn't just like I go to work from nine to five and then I come home, I do my hobby, and I do it on the weekends. Right. That like that's kind of it's changed and evolved right. so I, much. I mean, I could say I don't know if if this counts, but like does binge watching the Mindy Project be my hobby because I'm in yeah I always like you know my family they always would tell me that like being social was my hobby because that's what I like to do in my spare time and I really have embraced that because I'm like yeah that is technically like a hobby it's not what you traditionally think of a hobby but like if I have free time it's really what you like to do if you have free time right I like to go out with my friends I like to talk on the phone I like to be in touch with people so that's like but see, hobby. I, but I it's agree. not really. But it is. No, yeah. I think that's fair. I, I think that's great. But I what it doesn't tell me, like, so for instance, I am an introvert. Mm-hmm. So I give it my all when I'm here. Somebody told me it's like a solar panel or a battery. So solar panel is an extrovert and they absorb energy from others, right? Whereas I am like a battery, meaning I have a life and, or meaning a, a, a a battery life and it, it starts to drain right. and then I need to recharge. So I guess I'm a rechargeable battery. But <laughs> point is, is that I am not social, but that doesn't mean I'm not great at my job. Right. right? And so my, so when I say I like to binge watch <laughs> Mindy Kaling, I mean, that's how I recharge. I mean, I need alone time. I need time to sort of just like be and be with myself and my thoughts and actually not talk because right. I'm, I'm with people all day. And I love that, but it's like, it, it's exhausting to me. And so I'm, I'm a true introvert in that I just need some alone time. And that doesn't um, define my ability to do my job well. So that's why I think I get hung up on that hobby. That doesn't mean I don't have interest right. in, and I mean, I love the fall and I love, you know, 
pumpkin patching and all that stuff, but that's not a hobby, you know? But like, what's the question? I'm, I'm thinking that people just ask that question to, like, make sure you have other interests. Like, yeah. it's almost like, I don't care what your interests are. Just, like, have something. Like, yes. And I think that might be where that question comes yes. from. Yes. I collect stickers. No. <laughs> oh, I wish that. I wish <laughs> When did. I was a kid, I did. Lisa Frank, are you kidding me? Oh, yes. my God. I wish you still brought your sticker collection oh here today to the conference. so great. So we're at the we are at the student career conference for New York Women in Communication. You have been talking to college age students, giving them career advice. What's a piece of advice you wish you could give to your own college self? What's something you wish you knew when you were in college that would make your life easier today? There is such there's a great book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so old school. It was like an Oprah pick when she first started doing that. I think I don't know. It's like. 30 years old, but uh, there's also one that's don't sweat the small stuff at work. And and I will say as someone who is, you know, super type A and, and, you know, I'm not a perfectionist by any, by any stretch, but I do want to do really well at my job um, as, as most people and, and certainly most women do. So that's, I'm not unique to that, but I, because of that, I can really dwell on things and I can really over, um, um, put put too much emphasis on things that went wrong, or and and it really is like, yeah, you screwed up. You're like life does not end, your career does not end. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything is a fireable offense. So like, yeah, you screwed up. Just own it and move on. I think if I could tell myself, I, I, frankly, I have a hard time doing that now, but I'm so much better at it now than I've ever been. Um, and early in my career, I think I would cry a lot, like just because I was so hard on myself. And it just isn't worth it. It's like, you'll be fine. Everything's cool. Don't sweat the small stuff mm-hmm. at work. That's what I would tell myself. And I'm telling myself it today. It's such good <laughs> advice. It's such, Because you can get so wrapped up in it. Like, there's a lot of small stuff. Yes. You can, your whole life can just be obsessing and thinking. And yes. like, and then you can never shut down. Like, there's no balance in your life if you spend your time at work and then leave and spend that time obsessing over yes, anything that could right. potentially go wrong. Yeah, totally. Just own it. Move on. Yeah. It's great. Listen to that. Listen. <laughs> I know. Listen to that, Meredith. Yeah, Everyone listen. Meredith, Julie, everyone. <laughs> All of us. Listen to it. Love it. Where can we find you? Where can we follow your work? What can our listeners be doing to keep up with you and see what you're doing? Yeah, great. You can check out our newsletter. We put out a weekly newsletter. It's called Till Next Tuesday, and it comes out every Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. It comes out every Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> uh, in short, we call it TNT. Anyway, you can subscribe for that to that at our website at tmistrategy.org. We also have a blog where we post a lot of um, insights and learnings and information um, about young people and social change. And so that's a great place to also stay up to speed. Um, and that's on medium at uh, TMI strategy. Great. Thank you so much for Thank your time. You. This was so fun. And you gave such great, great advice. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much. Finally, we spoke with Brittany Masalo Salo. She's a special assistant in the vice president's national security affairs office at the White House. I'll start. My name is Brittany Masalo-Salo, and I work in the office of the vice president at the White House. I work as a special assistant, and basically what that means is that I get to do a lot of top secret stuff. I do national security affairs in particular, so it's really a lot of foreign policy and diplomacy shaping U.S. relations with other countries. That sounds amazing. Um, it's It sounds a lot sexier than it is. <laughs> <laughs> is. Is this a crazy, is it not crazy timing for you with the election? It's absolutely crazy timing. Okay. There's so much churning going on right now. Most of us don't even know if we're going to have jobs in January, so... 
how does that work when the new leadership comes in? Mm-hmm. Essentially, everyone's job is up in the air. So when the new administration comes, just about everybody's job is over. And so there's 10% of us that get to stay on. Unfortunately, I get to be part of that 10%. I'm what's called a historical employee. So I'm going to stay on to help maintain that continuity between the old administration and the new. I was able to get that position because I'm apolitical. I don't have like a political affiliation with either side, Democratic, Republican, Libertarian. I don't have a political affiliation. So I'm just going to stay on to kind of be that go-between between each of the administrations. Great. But that's only 10% of us. Everybody else is going to be a complete changeover. And so when I get to work on January 21st, it's going to be just like it's my first day, brand new people, new faces, starting all over again. That's crazy. Are you based in D.C.? I am. I work at the White House. You work at the White House. Great. Tell us about your coffee drink of choice. Do you know Compass Coffee? I don't. So it's a group of two brothers. They used to be Marines, active duty, and you know, it's part of the Marine culture to drink coffee. And they just drank so much coffee, they decided they were going to refine it and get it down to a science. So they own a small shop in Northwest DC called Compass Coffee. And they have this one coffee that's called Nitro Brew. It is my absolute favorite. I drink it every day. I buy it by the gravel. (laughs) So that is my favorite coffee. And I can drink it black, drink it straight, and drink it all day. But if you drink too much, you feel like your face is going to melt off. Is it cold? It is. It's a cold okay. brew coffee. It's a cold brew so coffee. So nitro brew. Nitro brew. Super strong. It is, but it's phenomenal. And it's actually sold at the White House. And so the fact wow. that it's sold at the White House mess, like so much of us rely on this nitro brew just to get us through our job. <laughs> I think you just gave away like the secret of how our I, government works. Like this Lots is what keeps it going. Lots of coffee. Nitro brew. <laughs> that sounds great. We're going to have to get down there and try it. I love it. Is that what the president drinks? You know what? I don't know. I, if he if he does drink the White House's coffee, then it would be that nitro brew. Wow! But it's so delicious. It's the it's the best coffee hands down. Do you drink it black? Like, is it meant to be just like black, or do you put well, like, I do, sugar? Since I do cold brew, I drink it black. But sometimes I dilute it just mm-hmm. so it's not. I'm not over caffeinated at yeah. work and <laughs> that buzzy feeling. Exactly. That cold right. nitro right. coffee. So yeah, I, I dilute it, but I'll drink it black. <laughs> but I love it. It's the best. I like that you got the you got the you gave those guys a little plug. And I did, <laughs> I, especially because they're prior service. So I'm a veteran myself, and so I definitely want to give the prior service Marines a shout out. That's great. Those guys are doing great things. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you're a veteran. Where did you? When did you serve? I served ten years now. I'm actually still in the army, and it's it's crazy. But I served for ten years, two deployments, went to combat. The whole bit. I went to Iraq both times. I was there during a dangerous, volatile time in 2006, and I went back again in 2008, and I was in a northern area where it was a little bit quieter, but that's kind of what essentially got me to where I am today. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, that must have taught you so many lessons that you can then use in your everyday work life, right? Like, are there certain things that you learned from that experience that help you in the office? Absolutely. So one of the things that I'm going to talk about when I get up and do my keynote here is being the military created a framework reference for what hard work is. Mm-hmm. The days when I don't feel like getting out of bed and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to go to work today, I remind myself that I, I could be still in Iraq <laughs> ru- walking and rucking 12 and 15 miles a day with 100 pounds of gear on. And I'm saying, okay, this is a walk in the park compared to where I was five or seven years ago. And so it definitely created a frame of reference for hard work. And so now I'm an extremely hard worker. I'm, no- that's, I'm notorious around my office for being a hard worker. It's just part of my reputation. So that was one of the things that I learned about it. Another thing is I learned about 
camaraderie. So camaraderie ties in very closely to networking and where you're building relationships. But I think that it's made me a lot more powerful in my networking skills that I'm able to establish camaraderie with the people that I know, true and genuine relationships. Mm-hmm. And so those are just two examples. I could, I could go on forever talking about the things that I've learned from serving in the military. I think everybody should serve, but those, are, those definitely are my top two. But it's so great to be able to take something that almost seems now, I'm sure, when you're sitting in your office at the White House, like a different life, like a completely Absolutely. different world. But you can take, I mean, you know, it's an important lesson for anyone to learn to take little experiences and big experiences throughout their life and apply it to, right. you know, everything matters to the point that you are today. I agree. Absolutely. It couldn't be more important because you have to take it, you have to take everything for what it's worth. You have to find the value in everything. That may be the values in your failures, the values in your struggles, your challenges, your setbacks, and the values in your success. And you kind of turn all that and culminate it. And that defines who you are, how you're able to learn from those. And so the time that I spent in the military, I, I can say hands down that I would not be the person that I am today if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't gotten that sense of discipline and that strong work ethic and the camaraderie and this the perspective from being in a war zone and living in a third world country and living in Europe. I lived in Belgium for two years while I was in the military, living in Belgium. And just those experiences, they, they culminate all together to make me who I am. And it affords me the opportunity to bring that perspective into my workplace now. So I have all these experiences that other people dream that they could have had. And they, they, you know, they want to pick your brain. They want to know what you learn and you become a valuable voice that wants to be heard. It's great. So it's an honor. Tell us about your most memorable office moment, either positive or can be negative. It doesn't necessarily have to be good. Okay, so I will give you two of my most memorable office moments. So I had, obviously I work in the White House now, so I work with um, Vice President Biden. I can remember the first time that I met President Barack Obama. and Pretty I, memorable. <laughs> it, it was extremely memorable because it caught me off guard because it was at a time where I wasn't expecting him to walk into the room. So I was just kind of sitting there, you know, laissez-faire, looking down taking some notes and then when you walked in I kind of snapped up and I was like oh my god the president is in the room and so one of the things you know I'll be vulnerable for a little moment real quickly and tell you that I am very conscious when I'm at work to cover up my tattoos because I have tattoos on my arms and there's still a lot of stigma around tattoos and immediately I was like I don't have my blazer on I don't if he walks over here I'm gonna have to shake his hand and he's going to look down and he's going to see. And so I just, I got so flushed and I got so nervous when I said, okay, you know, let's just see how this goes. You know, it was literally a matter of 30 seconds, but he walked over and he said, you're new around here. And I said, I am. I said, I'm, I'm Brittany Masalasalo. I work for Vice President Biden. He said, oh, well, I'm Barack Obama. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you're like, oh, I know. <laughs> exactly. And so in that moment, I was able to see the humanity yeah. in him that he took a moment. I'm sure he could tell by the look on my face that I was just horrified in that moment because I felt so unprepared. I don't, I don't know how you would ever prepare, but I felt unprepared and he took that moment and he kind of, he turned it and he made it into a moment that just brought me down a little bit and just reminded me like, hey, you know, he's a human too. He's a person too. Well, I admire this man to remarkable heights, but it just, that, that moment was very memorable for me. How great is it though that he still introduces, I mean, it sounds so obvious that you would introduce yourself, but like exactly. everyone in the world knows who you are. Like in the world, there's not anyone. So to just be like, oh yeah, this is who I am. It's exactly. really like puts you on equal playing field and, for sure. And I think that that was his intention because I was, I was so flushed and, and he just said, hey, you know what? We're, we're working together. Right. We He's your coworker. Together. Yeah. We, we are working together right now. It's amazing. It was. Absolutely. It's, it's so. amazing. And I think it's really interesting. Like, isn't it almost better that it 
caught you by surprise, then you had this moment that you could obsess and prepare for. You're right. Like, absolutely. It's, it's almost less crazy making sometimes. When it's it like, is. It had to happen. That's and how especially it had to because it kind of played out really nicely. It kind of fleshed right, out. Right. I guess it could have gone either way. but <laughs> So it made it worth it. My second most memorable experience was um, recently I, so when I traveled with Vice President Biden, I fly on Air Force Two with him. And I had one of those moments that I think we all should take where we savor our experiences. And I had a moment where I, I stopped for a split second and I said, oh my God, this is really happening. This is so amazing. So I was flying on Air Force Two with the Vice President and I got an email on my phone and it said, the Prime Minister of this, some country wants to speak to the Vice President right now. And I said, oh my God, he's sleeping. (laughs) And so I emailed back, I said, how urgent? They said, it's very urgent. He needs to speak with him in the next 10 minutes. Here's what he needs to speak to him about. And I'm reading and I'm like, I can't even read all this in 10 minutes. (laughs) I said, okay, well, I I, got to go in there and get him. And so I I go in, I knock on the door so like somberly, like, I don't want to be the one to do this. But so I knock on the door and he wasn't sleeping. He was in it. He was in his cabin, but he was just reading. And he said, come on in, Brittany, come on in. His grandkids were in there sleeping and his grandkids were laying in the bed. And I sat on the foot of the bed with him. And I sat there and I talked to him and I told him and we were whispering why his grandkids were sleeping. And I'm a mother. And so being a mother, I took that moment and I looked and that was my, oh my God moment. I am briefing the vice president of the United States and we're whispering at the foot of the bed because his grandkids are sleeping. <laughs> and we're 30,000 feet in the air on Air Force Two. And those were the moments where I said, okay, all the hard work, all the days, the sleepless nights, culminating to this moment, amazing. And I, I never forget it. Amazing. Worth it. it. Worth all the work. Hands down. Hands it's down. great. I think it's great advice also to just like, take moments, I mean, just a good life advice, like take moments to appreciate where you are. I think it's probably 100% of people just rush through and don't do it. You never do it. Like I used to have on my to-do list at the end of every day, like take five minutes and just appreciate it. But sometimes I wouldn't even get to the bottom of the to-do list (laughs) to get to the appreciation. So yeah, definitely take those moments and savor them because sometimes they're few and far in between and you're churning and you're burning and you're working so hard that you forget to take a moment and step back and, and look okay, this is why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. This is why I put up with it. This is why I work so hard. And this is why I dedicate myself. It's it's for these moments. It's amazing. You're the keynote speaker at the Student Career Conference for New York Women in Communication. And we have college students here who are learning career advice. Um, What is the piece of advice you wish you could give yourself when you were college age you know what do you wish that you had known what would have helped like what's something you've learned that if you had just told yourself when you were 18 to 22 it would have just made life smooth sailing absolutely so one of the things and we actually just touched on it about savoring the experience when I was in college I wish that I would have learned to appreciate the experience for what it's worth you know we're all trying to learn as much as we can when there would trying to become educated and knowledgeable in our chosen fields. And sometimes we forget to appreciate the experience, appreciate all the other valuable skills that you're getting from that experience, whether it's a sense of hard work and a work ethic, or whether it's a sense of being punctual or being accountable. Mm -hmm. But just from that experience of being in school and going through it, you're gaining so many valuable life skills that are going to be applicable for you when you enter and excel in the workforce. So I wish somebody would have told me just to pay a little more attention to all that, to all the extra besides just what's in the books. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. I mean, that's great advice, and I think it's really hard to 
kind of focus it on is. that or almost unfocused and let yourself see all the other things around it is. you. Because that's what makes it valuable. That's what mm-hmm. makes it valuable. I have interns that come through my office and I tell all my interns the same thing. Like, I know you feel you're in here undervalued. I know you feel like you're in here working for free like a slave. And I said, but do not forget the experience and what you are privy to right now, what you are able to see and what you are able to learn from this semester that you spend here. It's awesome. That's it great advice. Thank you. So do you have um, do you have like personal social media that you want to share? I don't know if you are allowed to have that or if you have so. White House social right. media that you're allowed to share. So it's very interesting. Actually, because I work national security affairs and my job has a lot of covert and secret, I have no social media at all. It's not that it's not allowed. It's highly discouraged. Mm. And so, and, and to that extent, I will say right now, for the record, I speak on behalf of myself, not the White House or the Obama administration, <laughs> because the ethical lawyers are very, very clear where they draw their red lines. And so with the, with social media, those, those red lines are not as clear as a lot of gray area for us and what we can do and what we can say. And so for me, it's, e- it's actually easier. While it is a challenge, it's easier for me not to have any social media. So right. unfortunately, I don't have it. I can leave a business card with you, <laughs> but I don't have any social media. Well, it's easier just not to cross a line, right? It is. Even to get close to that it's line. Not right. Yeah. Not worth it. You have a lot of other things going on that Absolutely. make up for not being on social media. I do. I do. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank this was you. so fun. You've had such an interesting, amazing career and you gave such great advice. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers, Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grise. Our editors, Aaron Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.